Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I may lose the battles, but I win the big war. I'm Joey Gentile. And I never wanted fame. I just became a Kennedy. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is this week's episode of Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this is the class of 2016. We are halfway through the season. It is here. This is a big year in many ways. Holy hell. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this year, uh, just in general. Um, this was a really memorable Oscar ceremony, not just because of the big flub, but I remember being at an Oscars party uh, during this, a party full of gays, and everyone was, you know, gaga for La La Land, and I was like the sole Moonlight person in the room, so when it eventually ended up being Moonlight, I felt quite happy. Dude, we will obviously get to La La Land and Emma Stone, and for anyone listening, don't let, don't let this comment think you know where I'm going to place right off the bat. I hate La La Land so much and I tried revisiting it for this episode and I did and I think I have never hated a movie more the second time around than I did La La Land I was like grinding my teeth at this I can't do it I can't do it maybe our guest can do it though tell us who we have today well we have a guest that I've been looking forward to having on the show for a while he is a contributor to Next Best Picture and a new member of the Chicago Indie Critics Group. We have with us today Mr. Josh Parham. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing very well. Thank you for the invitation. I am also very much looking forward to discussing this year. Yeah, and uh, you selected this year, so I'm curious, why did you pick 2016? I think it's really just because I am a fan of pretty much all of the nominees here, with maybe just one or two exceptions. I love all of these performances and i just think that there's a lot to discuss about the people that are nominated here Mm -hmm. i would agree i would agree this is a historic year on many fronts um obviously from what won best picture um to the flub to having three black actresses in one category Mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think that definitely hasn't happened before that and hasn't happened since so I mean, this was huge. There was so much representation across the board everywhere this Oscar season. Yeah, especially after the two years of Oscars so wide, it felt like there was a very pointed effort to focus on diversity for these uh, slate of nominees. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, this was a super, super big across the board representation for everybody. And it was, you know, how it should be every year, you know? Mm -hmm. So ideally, very, yeah, ideally, exactly. So it should, it, it was a great, great year for that. Um, yeah, well, let's, uh, I'm excited to get into this. We have a lot of questions this year because obviously, also, oh, yeah, this year was famous for some snubs, Amy Adams being a big one for Arrival. Um, we have so many questions on Amy Adams alone. So, with the questions today, uh, for all of you listening, what I'm going to do is essentially just pick a couple, but they're really like all the other questions in one 
So it's kind of like the main one that focuses on everyone else's sentiment. So I would love to answer all the questions, but that we're looking at a three plus hour show talking about Amy Adams at that point. <laughs> it's probably the most questions you've ever had for someone who wasn't even nominated. Right. <laughs> it's what she exactly. deserves. Yeah. Um, Not a lie. I have to ask you off of my opening comment. Do you also share the uh, hatred of La La Land or are you a fan? I do not hate La La Land. I do think that it is slightly overrated. I think it's fine, but I do not go in with the exuberant praise that that movie has gotten. Um, but I do like some aspects of it, which we will discuss tonight. Yeah. Well, shall we uh, go through our guesses and then dive in? Sure. Brandon, start us off. Who, who are you going with? Um, so for you, Joey, I'm guessing Isabelle Huppert. I know how much you love her. And supporting, I'm not sure, but I'm feeling maybe Naomi Harris. Um, and for Josh, I don't know your taste quite as well, but I'm just going to throw out Natalie Portman and Michelle Williams, just because. Josh? Um... I think for you, Joey, I think I am also going to say Isabelle Huppert. That does seem like, <laughs> I think when we talk about the movie, I feel like um, we're going to get into some things about why I may have some thoughts about that, which will, I have a feeling will be opposite of you. So which propels me to think <laughs> that maybe you will actually really enjoy talking about that performance. Um, and for you, Brandon, I... I'm going to say Michelle Williams for you as well. Okay. All right. I, Brandon, you're also going to pair. I just can't see you going anywhere else there. Supporting, I want to say Naomi Harris, but I'm going to go Michelle Williams. Josh, this is going to be very left field on a guess. I'm going to say Ruth Nega, and then I'm going to say... You know what? I, I don't know if you're a category fraud guy, so I'm going to stick with Viola Davis in the supporting category for you. All right. So with that said, Brandon, take us away. So um, your supporting actress nominees from 2016 were... Viola Davis, Fences. Okay, let's start with our winner for the year. That is Viola Davis winning for Fences. This is her third of so far three nominations and so far her first and only win. Going into this, she was pretty much an unstoppable frontrunner as she wins the Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the AARP uh, Movies for Grown Ups Award. And she doesn't really lose any of the major precursors um, going into this. So she was quite a force. Uh, Viola Davis in Fences plays Rose. She is a wife and mother struggling to keep her family's home life stable amid her hus 
amid her husband's embittered attitude prompted by demons from his past and his station in life. So, um, Josh, how do you feel about Viola Davis and Fences? I think that she is incredible in this movie. Um, I think that this is just another example of how great of an actress that she is. I mean, I think that she is fantastic in everything. And I really do love pretty much every scene that she's in. I think that she keeps up with Denzel Washington a great deal, that they're great scene partners together. And she's one of those people that can sell you any moment. We all know about the really big ones where she's crying and the snot's coming out of her nose. And and that's really effective to me. But there's also like these very small moments of just quiet interaction that just seems like it's a normal married couple going about their day. And I find that to be incredibly endearing as well. And she just really, to me, inhabits a full character. And to me, it's really, really effective in every moment. So I absolutely adore her in this film. And Joey? This is a great leading role she's got here. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, she's good. She's doing Viola Davis shtick. I've talked about it before. This is the final stop so far on the Viola Davis snot tr- nose train express railroad, whatever you want to call it, however, whatever I've been referring it to since 2008. Um, she is doing Viola Davis shtick to a T. Um, but something about the Fences performance, you know, Fences got a lot of this just feels like a play filmed, um, when it came out. And I do feel like that. I feel like they might as well have just done this, um, Othello 1965 style where they just filmed the play, um, because that's exactly how this feels. So this feels very much like stage acting. Um, this is also one of those performances where Viola Davis knew going into this, this was going to be her Oscar. So she played every scene as what could have been her Oscar clip. Um, so it almost comes off a little, a little too much for me. Um, it's, it's, it's not a bad performance by any means, but it is, she's at a 10 all the time here and she's at a 10 in points where she doesn't need to be a 10 so um you know she's got a she's got an oscar under her belt um this was very much a campaign styled win um because this was very meticulously mapped out on how she was going to get the gold this time um but yeah it's it's great for a leading role but it is not a supporting role I don't know if I agree that she's at a 10 the entire time or that she plays every clip like it's her Oscar clip because she has some really beautiful moments of quiet and silence in here where she is just observing and taking in. This is a character who I feel has sacrificed a lot of who she is in order to build up her husband and to keep the family unit uh, together. Um, So she has a lot of moments where she is very consciously on the outside looking in or on the sidelines or however you want to put it, which is why I think her big moments where she is at a 10 are so powerful. Her, I've given you 18 years monologue or however that's phrased is so damn powerful. And I think it's because Viola Davis gives you these moments of quiet so that when she does skyrocket, into these huge emotional uh, moments, it, you really feel it. 
um, I think it's no wonder why this character feels so lived in, considering Viola Davis played this with Denzel Washington on Broadway for quite a while, and uh, she won her Tony for this. So um, this is a character who feels very fully rounded, uh, very deep. Um, this is, I think, a really tremendous performance from Viola Davis, but um, I agree that she definitely does not belong in this particular category, although I think it is definitely Oscar-worthy um, acting. Yeah, I, I do think that if I could think of this as like a campaign person trying to <laughs> justify the, the decision to put her in supporting, I think you can look at it as like you see her through the perspective of Troy throughout most of this story until you get to the very end. And I think that there's an argument that you could make that because almost all the scenes that she has, she shares with Denzel Washington in this film, you see her through the eyes of another character that you could kind of make the argument that she is supporting. I think that that is something that your mileage will vary. And I think that that's an argument that a lot of people will even discuss. But I think that is probably the rationale besides the easier path to getting an Oscar in that category. I think that if you wanted to justify it to yourself, that's what you would say. Mm -hmm. I could see, you know, what you're saying there. I, um, I mentioned it in tw uh, the, our 2012 episode, one of our listeners, uh, baby Clyde, shout out girl, um, had actually confronted Viola Davis while campaigning for this movie. And it pretty much said um, because of her, because baby Clyde finds uh, Viola Davis in the help to also be category fraud um, that pretty much, why are you campaigning and supporting? Was it because your last category fraud didn't work out so well? And I always find that story pretty, pretty amusing. So I just wanted to <laughs> shout out baby Clyde again. Um, we, ha we have a bunch of questions, like I said, about Amy Adams, but our other set of questions all deal with Viola Davis. So I want us to answer Andrew Cardin's because I feel like Andrew Cardin's really hits the, hits the note for everyone else's question who's asked this. So had Viola won for the help, would she still have triumphed for fences? Moreover, do you think Paramount still would have campaigned her supporting or with a win already under her belt, do they push her for lead? And would she have prevailed there? Also, who does she boot from lead? Um, Josh, do you want to start us off there? Mm, wow, that's a lot to unpack. Um, I think that if she had won for the help... I don't think there would have been quite the quite the enthusiasm to get her the win for Fences. I think that a large part of that campaign was her IOU for the help and how for a lot of people that kind of stung that she didn't get that award and didn't make history uh, in the process. And I think that having people really just wanting to see her win an Oscar by any means necessary is was one of the major elements that drove the campaign for Fences. So... I I don't think I don't think that she would have won. I think she would have been nominated regardless of whatever category, but I I'm not sure that that if she had already won an Oscar that that would have pushed her over the edge for a second one. Yeah. Do you think that it would have pushed her for lead and would she have prevailed? Well, you already answered if she prevailed there. And then if she's in lead, who does she boot from lead? Um I think she probably would have gone lead because it was her decision to go supporting in the first place. And I think 
Right. If she had an Oscar already, she wouldn't have really cared as much about what category she was in. And um, who I do think she probably would have still gotten in and who she would have replaced probably Ruth Nega because she was always she was a bit of a surprise on the day of nominations anyway. And usually that always means you're like number five in the category. Brandon. Yeah, I'm pretty much um, in agreement with Josh. I feel like if she had won for the help, there would not be quite the immediacy to reward her again, especially quite so soon. Um, I have a feeling if she had won for the help, they probably just would have gone ahead and put her in lead, um, considering that's where she won um, at the Tonys, and it just makes sense. And if there wasn't the immediacy to reward her again, maybe there wouldn't have been quite so much strategy involved. Um, I think she still would have been nominated in lead. Um, I think Ruth Nega makes sense, uh, considering how much of a surprise she was. I also, I'm not sure how much of a demand there was for Meryl to be nominated for Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, so I have a feeling it'd be one of those two. Um, did I miss any of the quest part of the question? There was a, mul- there was a multi-parted question. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew really, like I said, he hit it on the head. Uh, would she prevailed, campaigned, and booted? Nope, that's it. Yeah, I don't know if she would have won if she had been in lead. I, it's possible, but um, I don't think people would have felt the need to reward her quite so soon. So I'm going to agree with pretty much everything you both have said, although I honestly don't think Meryl would have gotten in. I think Ruth still would have made it in because she was such a surprise. I mean, we'll get to the leads here with our precursors shortly. But we have to remember, too, this was the year that Meryl got the Cecil B. DeMille Award. So, uh, you know, a lot of people just um, said that her speech to that really is what secured her her nomination. So I don't know if it was so much the performance. If it was going off the performances, I'm pretty sure that she would have booted um, or uh, that Davis would have booted her. But that's just me. It's hard to bet against Meryl Streep, though. Yeah. 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 Maybe I just want to see Ruth Nega and Viola Davis in the same category. Oh, I that? agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you, but I'm also like a realist. And, you know, I look at the <laughs> amount of nominations that Meryl Streep has, and I just have to ask myself, what's more likely of who's getting in? And if they can throw her a nomination to like Into the Woods, they'll pretty much do anything. <laughs> Ooh, shade. <laughs> we haven't, as of right now, we haven't recorded 2013 yet, so... It, it's interesting to see when we go back to recording that, I'll be like, oh, you know, maybe Brandon or I agreed with you and maybe we didn't. We don't know. Is there uh, anything else on Viola Davis before we move on? Uh, negative. Okay. So next we have Naomi Harris nominated for Moonlight. This is so far her first and only nomination. Going into this, she wins with National Board of Review but that's her only major win, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Moonlight, uh, Naomi Harris plays Paula, the abusive and drug-addicted mother to our lead character here. So, uh, Joey, how do you feel about Naomi Harris and Moonlight? Let me start off with Moonlight was one of the first movies I ever saw in theaters where I was with a friend and we couldn't move from our seats the moment it ended. Um, We probably sat there for 10 minutes and just dead silence because we were so affected by this movie. And I remember going home that night and 
writing a big Facebook review about it and praising it and naming it for all these categories that it would be nominated in, including Best Picture, Best Director, Mahershala Ali. And I never predicted that Naomi Harris would get in because she didn't, I, she wasn't, she wasn't a standout for me. And so I've, Moonlight is one of those films that affected me so much the first time that I've never seen it again because I want to hold on to what I took from it. And it's one of those films that I feel like if I watch it again, it's going to lose its magic to me. So I have to go off of what Naomi Harris did for me um, in that screening. So with that said, um, I think she's good here. Um, I think she, she packs a small punch for her role. Um, I think what she's doing is, you know, there, she, she mentioned she was very hesitant to take on this role because she didn't want to um, play a, a black stereotype in film. And I have to respect that. And with that too, also say that despite her not wanting to take it on, I think she did it really good. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those roles that are so small that it's like, okay, what would be, what, what could be if she did more with this, if there was more to this character? Um, you know, I do think her scene, her last scene, I believe it's her last scene. Like I said, I haven't seen this since 2016. Um, that when she's lighting her cigarette with adult Sharon and, um, you know, she's saying, I still love you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Like, I think that's beautiful. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I've never had her on my prediction list to get nominated. Josh, what about you? I, I mostly agree with you. I think that she does pack a lot in a very short amount of time that she's in the movie. And I, um, I did actually rewatch this, uh, for our discussion. And I do think that the first time you see her, it's a little bit of a choppy performance. Like she's still engaging, but I think you can kind of see the seams a little bit uh, with her performance. And it's not quite as effective in the first part of the movie. But when you get to like the second part where she's interacting with the teenage um, Chiron, it's so incredibly like devastating just how much he is breaking her heart and but how much love she still has for him and but it's all clouded with her addiction and it feels like a very authentic portrayal and then when you get to the end where the damage has already been done and she's trying to recover but she understands how much uh she's left in the wake of uh everything that she's been through and that really things are like just so completely broken between her and her son. It is just so incredibly effective. And I think that it, it is a very small performance. So there, there really is like a limit to how impactful it can be taken uh, the entire story as a whole. But at the same time, I really do find her to be very engaging whenever she does show up. Yeah, I remember seeing this movie by myself in the theater um, back when it came out. I went to like a matinee on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. It was like the day after we had just wrapped production on some awful film and I just needed to like decompress. So I went to see this little movie called Moonlight that I knew very little about. I wasn't really paying attention to the Oscars back then in the way that I do now. So I just went to go see this movie and I was just sitting there by myself and I was just completely taken over by this movie and Naomi Harris is a huge part of it. I think she is a thunderstorm in this film. 
And I can see why um, her performance at first glance reads as choppy. Um, there are some very abrupt swings in her mood and demeanor and uh, the volume of her uh, being. But I think it works in context of the movie. Um, I bought into it. I also did not expect her to be nominated for this when I first saw the movie, not because I thought she was bad in any way, but it didn't feel like a performance that would go on to be nominated for an Oscar. It didn't feel like the Oscars cup of tea. Moonlight as a whole did not really feel like the Oscars cup of tea at the time that I saw it. So I was pleasantly surprised when it ended up um, being nominated for a whole bunch of things. Um, like I said, I was at that party and I was the only one who was Team Moonlight. I think I might have been the only one who had even seen the movie, so that might explain some things. Mm. But um, Naomi Harris, I think, is just incredible in this movie. Um, she completely took my breath away in the moment, and she still does. I love that final scene between her and the adult version of her son, where he can't fully bring himself to forgive her, but there's a shred of his heart that still loves her and she wants to be forgiven. But I think on the one hand understands why she can't be forgiven. And there's just so much going on in that moment between those two characters. And when he, I think when he lights her cigarette, that's a symbol of some sort. I might just be reading into it too much, but I think that act of kindness reads a bit as a physicalization of his forgiveness of her or the forgiveness that he's capable of. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. Maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but Naomi Harris is so lucid in that final section of the film that it makes the prior sections where she is so up and down roller coaster Paula really work. And it makes everything so much stronger to me. I hope that makes sense. I just kind of said a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I want to point out too, there's that really, it is, it's a touching scene all around, but it's also super heavy where she's getting high in the car and Mahershala Ali's character like drags her out of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I just remember, by the way, part of the thing that kept me in my seat was even though he dies halfway through the movie is the... Uh, the acting of Mahershala Ali, Mahershala Ali here. I could not get over um, how amazing he was here. And there's that scene where they're going back and forth. And I think if you're going to pull out such a performance that gets nominated by the Academy for a performance that is so small, you have to hold your all in every scene. And unfortunately, that is just a moment where she is just pummeled alive by her co-star. Um, and it's really sad because I feel like that really could have been the moment for her. Um, I don't know if you guys feel that way about that, but that's just, that's also just me. I, I do, to be honest. And as I was saying before, how I think her first couple scenes, there's something about it that just doesn't quite click for me. Like it's not bad acting, but it feels mm -hmm. like it isn't, getting quite like over the line of being an amazing performance. And I think that scene in particular, there's just something about how over the top she's being that just doesn't really seem quite authentic. But once you get later into the story, I feel like those mannerisms settle down and it becomes 
a little bit more grounded and I connect to her so much more as a character. It's the unfortunate thing is that she doesn't have that many scenes in it. So one bad scene proportionally weighs a lot more than it does for other people. But mm-hmm. I, but then later on when she is doing much better work, you still appreciate it a great deal. Yeah. It's also worth noting that she did this all in three days. Yeah. And yeah. I think um, some people who are more disconnected from the production world might not fathom how freaking insane that is. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't imagine what those days were like. That, well, actually, I kind of can. But <laughs> it's it's kind of wild to me that she did this in three days. So Yeah, just uh, maybe... not, not only just that she did it in three days, but while she was on a promotional tour for the Bond movie. So it's like mm. she was there to sell something else and then did this performance at the same time. <laughs> this was like right. her part-time job. Yeah. And, like, that's <laughs> crazy to me. And, yeah. she, and, and she was in the round table that year for uh, the Hollywood Reporter and said she almost actually didn't get to do it because of her visa. Uh, her visa right. barely got accepted in time for it. So, mm. it, you know, I mean, kudos for her for pulling it off and getting the Oscar nomination. But, yeah. So next we have Nicole Kidman nominated for Lion. This is her fourth of four nominations. So as of today, it is her most recent nomination. So going into this, uh, Nicole Kidman does not win anything major, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and AARP. Um, In Lion, Nicole Kidman plays Sue. She is the adoptive mother of a boy named Saru who wishes to find his hometown and his birth mother. So Josh, how do you feel about Nicole Kidman in Lion? Well, first off, I want to say that I actually love this movie, which I feel like is a rather unpopular opinion. Uh, I really do like this film. I think it's very, very well done. However, I am sort of baffled as to why Nicole Kidman gets so much praise, or at least throughout the award season, why she was such a consistent presence. Because I think that she's good. I think that she delivers a fine performance, but... I don't really think that there is anything here that is exceptional, especially on the level that we know Nicole Kidman can be at. I think that she plays the emotional, concerned mother very well, and the scenes that she has, they're effective for what they need to be. But even as somebody like me who actually really loves this movie, she, I have to admit, is not one of the things that I think I walk away with and have on my mind like, oh my God, what a revelation. That was such an incredible piece of acting that I just saw. I I think that she's fine. She's not bad, but I don't think that she is worthy of any kind of awards consideration, much less an Oscar nomination. Joey? So this was actually one that I did revisit because I hadn't seen this since this Oscar ceremony. Um, and I gotta say, I don't love the first half. I love the second half, though, when we mm. get to adult Saru, and of course, my girl Rooney Mara, and then Nicole Kidman. And I have to say, it affected me even more on an emotional level, the, the whole aspect of this film. Um, and especially the ending there, when you actually see the real Sue and Saru's real mother um meet for the first time there's just something so beautiful about that moment that i was i was in tears re-watching this um now this performance good lord that wig oh my <laughs> god 
that wig, yeah. that wig, that wig. Did I mention that wig? Um, with that said, I love this performance. I think I am very opposite the spectrum here. I think this is one of um, Nicole's best nominations. Um, I am so touched by how little she's doing physically and how much she's emitting emotionally. Um, maybe I have a little bit connection to that because, you know, I've been very vocal on this show about my own tumultuous relationship with my mother. So I guess I look to that mother and I'm like, that is who I kind of wish I had a mother who loves unconditionally and just always cared. Um, so I, I guess it affects me in a personal way. And I, actually was taken aback by how much I connected with Kidman this time around. Um, I think this is highly underrated. Um, we actually, I did specifically, if anyone remembers who's listening, I did a poll on Nicole Kidman's f- four nominations on which one was the best. And I was so, I wasn't shocked, but I was so shocked at the same time where it was like, I think people need to revisit this, that this came in dead last. Um, because I think it is one of her best, her two best nominations. Um, the other being Rabbit Hole. Um, this is just phenomenal work that gut punched me in every possible best way. So I'm kind of in the middle on this one. Um, I'm not surprised either that this came in last place in the poll. Um, this nomination, I think, is Nicole Kidman's least showy. And I think people tend to brush those off. Um, I usually the opposite. Uh, those are the kind of performances that really draw me in a little bit more. And I do like her in this. Um, for the most part, it feels very natural. It doesn't seem like any sort of performance that's really po- uh, that's really um, presenting itself and trying to make itself obvious as a powerhouse supporting term. Um, I have also seen this movie twice. Um, I saw it for the first time in the theater back when it came out, saw it with a group of people, and I think I was the only one not sniffling in the end uh, (laughs) because I'm a cold-hearted bitch. And the second time was actually with Seth and his family who do not watch foreign language movies because they don't like subtitles, and Seth and I tricked them into watching this movie, which is halfway subtitled, and they ended up loving it, so there, take that. Um, (laughs) I think Nicole Kidman is actually pretty good here for the most part. Um, The scene where she reveals to Saru that she and her husband are capable of having children of their own, they chose to adopt uh, because they felt as though that was their place in the world. I I find that that scene really moving and touching. And it is kind of um, something that folks tend to assume when you see someone has an adopted child or you hear that they've adopted a child, you just assume that they sounds judgmental, that they can't have children of their own. And that reveal, I think Nicole Kidman handles it so well. And it's so beautiful in the way that she delivers those lines to, um, I believe it's, yeah, I believe it's, it's Dev Patel at that point. In yeah, the, it is. Playing the part. Yeah. And I think that's my favorite scene in the movie, to be honest. Uh, Nicole Kidman really shows us here why she is so she is so emotionally intelligent, I feel, as a performer. And that scene is, I think, proof that Nicole Kidman is really adept at handling these scenes that could be 
very high emotion in a very keenly natural way that still manages to twist your heart a little bit. So um, I don't think it's a fantastic performance throughout, but I think she has these moments that really shine. And uh, I dig it for the most part. And I can understand that. I think that there are moments where she does some pretty good work in the film. I think for me, I think it's it might be more so just that the role itself just doesn't have that big of an impact for me as much as it should. And, you know, it's funny, Joey, that you said that you prefer the second half to this movie. The second half is actually where I lose a little bit of interest in it. And I, I think that there is just something about the way that the story unfolds that loses some momentum in the second half for me. And that might contribute to me not connecting so much with the performances, even though I still enjoy the film overall. And I don't know. I just think that Nicole Kidman, I just walk away feeling like it was a fine performance. Like, I don't think it's bad. And I don't certainly don't want to say that like subtle or small acting is, you know, not good at all. I don't want to give that impression, but there's just something about the way that she plays this character that I just never come, I never walk away feeling anything more than just like, you know, good job, Nicole. But it's, it's not one of the things that I just find myself um, thinking about once I'm done watching the movie. I get it. I get it. And like I said, I was shocked, but I wasn't shocked with the polling because I, I was like I said I was shocked because I think people underestimate this because it's like not, I, I agree with Brandon it's not her showy one uh, but I'm also shocked that I, I don't think people who maybe have um, like I don't feel like Lion is just a movie you're like I'm just gonna rewatch Lion you know what I mean mm-hmm. so like yeah. people t- people tend to be like okay I've seen it whatever you know yada 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 and trust me there are movies that I've even revisited for this podcast that I've thought that I knew what I was going to do and then I rewatched it and I was like, it changed my entire lineup. So people, go watch Lion again. Seriously, it's go into it with a fresh mind on it and see what you think about it. Maybe Nicole Kidman will really impress you this time. Maybe she won't. Just see it again. Uh, next we have Octavia Spencer, nominated for Hidden Figures. This is her second of three nominations. Going into this, she doesn't win anything uh as a solo performer but she does win a handful of ensemble awards with her co-stars but she is recognized as a solo performer at the globes and with sag in hidden figures octavia spencer plays dorothy vaughn the acting supervisor of a team of black women who work as calculators at a nasa facility and she is struggling to get the pay and title that uh she is worth so joey how do you feel about octavia spencer and hidden figures so i can't help but try and always figure out how octavia spencer got in when taraji and janelle did not because out of the three she is the least impressive in my opinion um this almost feels like I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure the movie, this movie takes place a few years before where the help would have taken place, but it almost feels like a tamer version of Minnie Jackson. Um, and I, I'm a little, this is a head scratcher for me. Um, regarding the acting, she's good. I mean, it's Octavia Spencer. 
don't get me wrong, she's not bad here. But she's not subtle and she's not showy. So she's very neutral for me. Um, you know, I know Janelle Monet got the Critics' Choice nomination here and people were actually shocked that, I remember people were shocked that Octavia got in over Janelle. But like I said, I just can't understand why Taraji and Janelle didn't get in and Octavia did. I don't even know if I have words for this to talk about. I'm going to just throw it over to Josh. I understand to a point uh, your your feelings here. I do like Octavia Spencer just in general. I, like whenever she's on screen, I find her to be such a warm and inviting presence. And I think that for a lot of other people that translates into them just wanting to reward her for a bunch of stuff. And I feel like this was a situation where people liked so many different performances in this cast. And when it came time to pick one person, they picked the one that they had given an Oscar to already. And so they were familiar with, and I would agree with you that Taraji P. Henson and Janelle Monae are giving more impressive performances. And I don't think that Octavia Spencer would really make my lineup for supporting actress, but at the same time, I think every scene that she's in, I do enjoy. I think that she still has a lot of uh, charisma in her mo in her scenes. And there's even moments in the film where I am rather impressed by some subtlety or complexity that she's bringing. Like that scene between her and, and Kirsten Dunst in the bathroom, which is the one that a lot of people referenced. I think there's a lot of, you know, it's not incredibly subtle, but there are some layers that are being worked with there that I think that she does a really good job with. I don't know if it is exceptional work, and I don't know if I would say that it's one of the best supporting performances of the year, but in the context that people tend to get kind of lazy sometimes with their selections, I do get why she's here. And even just stepping back, like, I enjoyed the performance, even if I'm not going to say that I think it's an exceptional one. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much my feelings as well. I think of the three ladies we have here, I think she's also maybe my third of the three. And yet at the same time, I still think she is quite good in this film. She is one of those performers who I, I feel like my eyes are always engaged whenever she's on screen. My eyes are always drawn to her, or even when she's the only one on screen, I'm just captivated by whatever she's doing. Um, I think... I think she does have some moments of subtlety um, here. There is some, there's a lot of subtext to the things that she says, particularly in those scenes with Kirsten Dunst. Um, that the, I think it's the final line in that scene in the bathroom where she's about to leave. And uh, I think she says to Kirsten Dunst, I believe that you believe that or whatever mm -hmm. her line is. She mm -hmm. says it with, it's so low key the way she says it. And yet at the same time, it feels like she's, stabbing Kirsten Dunst and twisting the knife just a little bit in a very subtle way. And I really dig it. Um, it's also kind of a triumphant performance. Uh, when she finally gets the role that she deserves here, running the uh, IBM room or whatever you call it, I feel like genuinely happy for her. And I think that has a lot to do with Octavia Spencer just making me invested in the character. And she's also just really funny in the way that Octavia Spencer frequently finds the humor in just about any movie that she's in. So um, even if she's not the one that I would have nominated exactly, I still don't mind this nomination. And I just generally like Octavia Spencer. I agree with, every, with that 
yeah. Josh, do you have anything else on Octavia Spencer? Or anything to respond to? Uh, no, I think that I agree with that assessment, especially with just liking Octavia Spencer. I feel like that is the mentality most people have, and I think that her nominations since The Help reflect that, where their performances that they're not great, they're not like anything that I think you would ever say is some of the finest acting you've ever seen, but she just has this innate ability to be completely captivating whenever she's on screen, even if it's for something very, very small. So, yeah, I, I get why she's here. And given the popularity of her and the popularity of that film, I certainly get why people wanted to give her another nomination. But yeah, I would also agree that like there were better performances that one could have singled out from that movie, especially. Yeah, she was a safe nominee, I think, uh, as you were saying, having previously just won. And she seems to be someone that people in the industry just like. So I think it's easy for people to you know, check the box for Octavia Spencer when they see her on a ballot. Agreed. And uh, interesting little thing, as Joey was saying in the beginning. So uh, while I was revisiting this movie, um, I looked up the years uh, that the movies that she was nominated for take place in. Uh, Hidden Figures is 1961. The Shape of Water is 1962, and The Help is 1963. So next movie she's in, it takes place in 1964. She's getting an Oscar nomination. I have a feeling. <laughs> Get that woman out of the 60s. Yeah, that's not a lie either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she could do more than that. <laughs> right. So um, our final supporting actress uh, nominee is Michelle Williams, nominated for Manchester by the Sea. This is her fourth of four nominations. And going into this, she has a couple of wins under her belt. She wins with the National Society of Film Critics and with the New York Film Critics Circle. And she's recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the Los Angeles Film Critics. In Manchester by the Sea, Michelle Williams plays Randy Chandler, the ex-wife to Casey Affleck's Lee Chandler. And she's been holding on to a lot of pain surrounding the untimely deaths of her children at her ex's hands, you could say. So, Josh, how do you feel about Michelle Williams in Manchester by the Sea? I find it interesting that, sort of like with Naomi Harris, this is another pretty small role like she only has maybe like three or four scenes in the whole movie it's not a very big performance and i think much like naomi harris as well she manages to pack a lot within those few moments that she has and i love her throughout the entire movie really and i know that a lot of people will obviously say you know the quote-unquote oscar scene is the confrontation that she has uh with her ex-husband lee uh, outside and there's the big crying and all that and it's very good it's certainly like an emotionally wrenching part of that film but I even appreciated like the smaller moments that she had before where she's in bed sick and she's got this interplay with her husband or when she's she goes downstairs and tells her her husband's friends to shut up and leave because it's two o'clock in the morning like even that small moment felt so incredibly real and authentic to me and I think that really speaks to Michelle Williams' ability as an actor to really embody whatever character she's playing to feel so real and grounded. And I think that, yeah, she is somebody that doesn't have a lot of screen time, but is definitely one of the things that you're thinking about when you leave the movie. So 
Let me let me tell you a little story going into this. <laughs> Sit down, children. Mother will read to you. Um, I remember hearing about this movie, and the first thing I heard was, this is Michelle Williams' Oscar-winning role from a lot of people, and that came off of the buzz. And this was before Fences came into play. And I was so excited. I went, again, this only makes sense if you're from Cleveland. I went to Valley View Movie Theater with my friend Natalie. I told her about it. I was all pumped for this movie. And we went and sat down. And within the first 10 minutes of this movie, we both instantly regretted going to see Manchester by the Sea. You thought I hated La La Land? I fucking hate this piece of shit-ass movie. Let me just start there. What a boring clusterfuck that didn't deserve shit of nominations at the Oscars. Now that I've got that out of my system. Going into her performance, this is one of those roles where she is a one-scene performance. And that is her breakdown cry when she is talking to Casey Affleck. Um, it, it, it's good, but it's, I don't, you don't get an Oscar nomination or anything in my book if you only have one scene. I'm going to say it, and this is not being my hatred of children. I'm just going to say it. the best part of this movie was when those kids died in that fire and, like, you realize what's going on and you're like, holy shit, Casey Affleck just killed these kids and Michelle Williams is going bananas. I think that's her best acting in this entire movie. Um, the rest of this movie can suck a dick because I hate everything about this movie. Next. Um, so... I like this movie, but I like Melancholy, so I'm really into it. Um, I think Michelle Williams is perfectly fine in it. Um, kind of like with Viola Davis having those quiet moments that lead into these big explosive scenes. I think it was very wise of the film to give her those scenes, like where she's in bed sick and um, at the, uh, is it a wedding or a funeral where we see her right before um, that reunion uh i think she's really striking in that one scene quote unquote that she has um i remember being drained when i saw it for the first time because uh, michelle williams really just lets it all out there and i i felt so drawn into it where i felt like i wanted to give her all of my energy and happiness it would just make her pain go away and I think that's tremendous. Uh, yeah, she doesn't have very much screen time, but I'd say she does leave an impression on the audience, even though she might she's only in this movie for a handful of minutes, and most of those minutes are in that reunion scene between her and her ex. Uh, Michelle Williams has a way of making all these characters that she play feel incredibly real, and when they're in pain, you feel as though either you're in pain or you feel this empathetic need to reach out to them and that is a real talent right there and uh, this performance this role really showcased that um that skill that michelle williams has as an actor i uh, agree John? yeah i i do think that 
like that scene definitely you it's easy to mock it as like it's just the oscar clip but i even think within these big emotions that she's playing at i still think that there is some subtlety there that yes she is breaking down and and crying and revealing all this pain that she has but it's pain that's also related to how she's treated her partner and how bad she left that situation and how much that how much her pain is also now causing his pain. And I think in order to really fully get that, you would also need the smaller moments beforehand where you just saw them as a regular couple. And I think the fact that she portrays those earlier moments so well helps to sell the big emotional scene at that point too. So I certainly get that if you're not like into the performance as a whole, you get to that moment and it does seem like that's it. But I I found myself appreciating pretty much every moment that she was on screen in this film. Mm-hmm. Joey, do you have anything else on Michelle Williams? Nope. But we do have a comment from Alec Hernandez. What did Michelle Williams do in Manchester by the Sea? A lot. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I said what I had to say. I don't want to sound like a broken record, so I've got nothing else. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine this is a pretty um, divisive performance. I mean, I also feel like the movie itself is probably on a polarity with people. There's people that either are really into it or they outright hated it. And so I would imagine that Michelle Williams' performance follows that path. Well, you know, if there's any sign into me for this category or for this year, it's that this category is not my favorite. I mean, all around, that's just me, though. But I don't know about you two. I am really excited to get into what I think is the better category of this year. So, all right, all right. Your lead actress nominations for, or nominees for 2016 were... Isabel Huppert, L. Let us start off with this year's winner, Emma Stone as Mia in La La Land. This is her second of three nominations and her only win. Get this, guys. Going into Oscar night, she really only gets noms from the major awards. Um, she wins at Golden Globes for Actress in a Comedy Musical. She wins at BAFTA, and she wins at SAG. Um, her nomination came in at Critics' Choice in La La Land. Again, Emma plays Mia, who is a... Um, uh, an, a struggling actress in Los Angeles who works on a stage lot in a coffee shop and falls in love with a jazz player, but has to choose if her career is more important in the end. And with that said, Josh, take us away as you are our guest. Start us off. So as I mentioned up top, um, I think that La La Land is a fine movie. I don't love it. Um, I have a lot of issues with it, but to be honest with you, none of those issues are with, Emma Stone. I think that she's actually pretty great in this film. And the thing that I'm always struck with her is that she usually has just such 
charming energy to her. Like she could sell anything, like even the worst material. She usually, even in bad movies, it's like the best parts in it. And you could maybe argue that the same with La La Land. I don't know. But I think that she, like, I love the moments where she is, I mean, basically just everything, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, I think that she really does sell the comedy very well. I think she has a great um, comedic sensibility to her, as she always has. And I think in those moments where she has to get more introspective and emotional, I completely buy it as well. I, I think that it doesn't ever feel like she would break down and cry just because she needs to do it for an Oscar clip. It really feels like it's an, a genuine emotional arc that she is inhabiting with this character. So, uh, yeah, I think that she's pretty incredible in the film. Yeah, I'm also not the biggest La La Land fan. Um, I don't hate it um, at all, but it's not exactly my movie. But um, Emma Stone is not someone who I complain about in the film. Um, if you love Emma Stone, this is a perfect performance for you. Uh, Emma Stone, I think, is really tapping into everything that makes her great as a performer. Um, she is so lively when uh, it's called for. She is the life of the party when it's called for. But she also is not afraid of these really intimate moments, like her audition song at the end, which might be my favorite part of the movie, honestly, where she's just singing that one song and the camera's just focused on her the entire time. Um, it's... It's not a performance that I love, kind of like the film, but I also don't hate it whatsoever. I think people who brush it off probably just have issues with the movie, and that's fine, but I think it's also unfair a little bit to Emma Stone, who I think is perfectly wonderful here, um, even if it's not exactly the type of performance or the type of film that I personally gravitate toward as a moviegoer. So, <laughs> like I mentioned in the beginning, I really hate La La Land. Do I hate it as much as Manchester by the Sea? Hell no. But I will say, I almost turned off my TV when they announced Best Picture La La Land, and I'm so obviously happy that I did not, um, because I was so livid with the fact that it, quote-unquote, won over Moonlight. With that said, Emma Stone is the best thing about this movie. She is just delightful in her Emma Stone charm. Um, I think this is such a fun role for her to play with. One of my favorite moments for her in this film is when she's at the party near the beginning in, in the springtime, and she requests Iran after this 80s cover band to play, and she's just, like, dancing along, flirting with Ryan Gosling. I think it's just wonderful. Um I think this is a fun role and she really, she really embraced it. Um, I also find it really interesting because I'm this person that I'm always like, what could have been? Um, it was very, actually, I, I was surprised they led with this in the campaign. Um, this, one of the things I noted was that Emma Watson was supposed to play this role and dropped out to do Beauty and the Beast. Um, so I always wonder like, what could have been? Um, so yeah, but I think Emma Stone here is great and I think she's adorable in it. Yeah, she's the best thing about the movie. I will agree with you. Even as somebody that doesn't hate the movie <laughs> quite as much as you do, <laughs> I think that she is by far the thing that I walk away. Like if I ever think that there's anything about the movie that is great, it is 100% her. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. I did know about the Emma Watson thing, but when I watch this movie, it feels so much like the role was written for Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. Like, it mm-hmm. feels so Emma Stone inside and out that it's unfathomable to me to picture Emma Watson in this role. Like, I simply cannot see it. Now, granted, it would be probably a different version of the character, probably more suited to her, but... Uh, Emma Stone makes this role her own. It feels like trademark Emma Stone through and through and not necessarily in a bad way. So, yeah, she's absolutely the best part of this. And she's really the only reason that I would consider rewatching this movie. Mm-hmm. She carries this movie. I mean, I think that's very obvious. Yep. She carries every scene that she's in. And that includes the ones that she shares with Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Truth. All right, moving on to Meryl Streep, an unknown actress here at the Academy. (laughs) Um, She is the titular role in Florence Foster Jenkins. This is her 20th of 21 nominations. Going into Oscar night, Golden Globe nomination for Actress in a Comedy Musical, BAFTA nomination, and SAG. She wins at Critics' Choice, though, for Actress in a Comedy. In Florence Foster Jenkins, again, Meryl plays the titular role. She is a wealthy uh, socialite who has a dream of singing but can't hold a tune to save her life. This is a biopic. Um, Brandon, what do you think of Meryl here? So I think when it comes to Meryl's long list of nominations, it's easy to scoff at Florence Foster Jenkins. And I would say I'm probably one of those people, but at the same time, I also find this role strangely delightful. Um, would it have been equally delightful in another actor's hands? Maybe not, because Meryl makes it really entertaining and um, endearing in a way. Um, I hadn't seen this since way back when it was nominated, so revisiting this, I had forgotten how funny it is when you get to that first singing lesson um, with her and her vocal coach and how everyone is just like, buying into this idea that she is great or has at least potential uh largely because she is so um financially stable i guess you would say and a big benefactor to the arts and it's this whole big ruse uh surrounding her talent uh or lack thereof and i think meryl is really funny here i love when meryl's able to be funny we don't get it super often and when we do it's usually a treat um Do I think she needed this nomination? I'm leaning toward no. Um, Are there other people that I would have preferred make this lineup? Yeah, probably. But is it still a performance that I enjoyed despite how I might feel about that? Yeah, I guess it is. I don't know. Um, I'm very conflicted on this one. So um, Josh, how do you feel? I think I agree with a lot of what you said, but at the same time, I am one of those people that looks at her performance in this film and just kind of goes, eh, like, it's fine. I mean, she's not bad, but this is another one of those situations where I think that she is decent in the film, but she's surrounded by other elements that I think people gravitate more toward. Uh, more, more so towards and she's not the most impressive performance in the movie and I think it's her performance suffers a little bit because of that and I think that at the end of the day like 
we know that Meryl Streep is a great actress when we know that she can do a lot of different things. And I think that this performance, while it does have its charms throughout, there's nothing ever here that just really impresses me to the point of wanting to think about this performance and really put it on any kind of a pedestal. It, and it sort of also speaks to the kind of movie that it's in as well. So it's, yeah, it's like, it's okay. It's fine, but it, that's about as far as I go with it. Mm-hmm. Folks, we have made it through all of Meryl Streep's nominations. I can finally talk about Meryl's single-handedly worst nomination she's ever received from the Academy, and that is Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, I have been waiting for this moment since 1978 when we talked about one of her best ones in The Deer Hunter, and I am so excited to finally talk about this. Now, I saw this movie in theaters and was very excited to see Meryl go at it and left that movie so underwhelmed. That's just the movie. Her performance here, I find like nails on a chalkboard aggravating. Um, not even the great thespian that is Streep could pull this off to me. Um, this is one of the most wasted nominations of the decade in this category, maybe of even the last 30 years in the lead actress category. I just don't get it. I really don't get how this got any traction. The only thing I can think of is that the Cecil B. DeMille Award really pushed her into this category. And she had nominations other places because she's Meryl fucking Streep. Love Meryl Streep. I've given her two Oscars thus far. Um, with The Deer Hunter and with Postcards from the Edge. Would I give her even a nomination here? Hell to the fucking no. I mean, it's hard to argue with that, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, Scene. <laughs> like it, it really is a performance that, like, I don't have as much vitriol towards it as you, but I also just do not I have, have any enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> I just also don't have any enthusiasm for it either, and... I think that you can make an argument that the the Cecil B. DeMille speech helped, but I also just think the fact that she's Meryl Streep helped. I, I think people just fall over themselves to give her nominations for anything that they can. And I think that there are things that, Brandon, you brought up that are kind of charming and endearing about this performance. And I think in small doses that... It works, but taken as a whole, I just don't really find myself connecting to it a great deal. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it's not a performance that I would necessarily nominate myself. It wouldn't make my own personal lineup. But watching it last week, for some reason, I found myself smiling while watching it. I don't think it's Meryl's best by any means. Uh, but for some reason, there were moments where it warmed my heart i guess you would say so i guess i'm i'm choosing to be a little bit nicer about it because i guess that's a that's a contrarian thing to do do either of you find this to be her worst nomination though do you join me in on that Mm, i don't know Uh, if i'd call it the worst but it's toward the bottom for me yes I, I admit I haven't taken a deep dive into all of her nominations, and I'm sorry for not being the perfect homosexual, but um, <laughs> I would probably put it at the bottom, yeah. This boy is a bottom! <laughs> um, that's how I feel 
about Meryl Streep. <laughs> um, <laughs> we actually have a question about Meryl um, from jo- Judge Roy Snyder, our good friend Christoph. If the Academy had room for Meryl Streep in their Best Actress lineup, why didn't they find room for the actual MVP of Florence Foster Jenkins, Hugh Grant, in their Supporting Actor lineup? First of all, eh, wrong. I would say Simon Helberg was the MVP of that movie. At least the Globes got it right. But I would also like to point out that Supporting Actor that year, number one was all over the place. Thus being Aaron Taylor Johnson winning the one of the two biggest precursors at the Globes and totally missing out at every other award and then also too grant was all over the place if you look at his precursors nobody could figure out if he was the lead or supporting gentlemen yeah i I would certainly agree that supporting actor was all over the place as well as his campaign i think that was i think actually category confusion probably was the biggest thing that did hugh grant in i think if they had committed to supporting actor for him from the get-go he might have had a shot to get in and i think that it would have been great if he got in. I actually have to violently disagree with you. I think Simon Helberg is terrible in this film, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's a shame. I like Hugh Grant. I think he's very charming in this film, but I think that there were too many elements that were kind of fighting each other throughout the season that nothing could coalesce in a significant way for him. Yeah, I largely agree. Um, I don't think it's just you, Josh. I think Simon Helberg is awful in Florence Foster Jenkins, and it was, <laughs> he, he was my least favorite thing on this most recent rewatch. Um, I also went into this movie knowing that Hugh Grant was being pushed in supporting in most places, and I found myself scratching my head because he leans lead at different points in this movie, and I guess you could say he really rides the line considering who the movie is about, quote-unquote, but he's almost too instrumental in the plot for him to be supporting for me. So if he had been in supporting, I, I don't know how I feel about that, but I lean a little bit more lead when it comes to Hugh Grant, and I think Hugh Grant's a very underrated actor who's capable of so much that most audiences don't quite realize. So I would love it. I would have loved it if he had been nominated anywhere. Agreed. Wow. I got no love for the Hellberg train here. Holy shit. Okay. I'm sorry, but hey, I'm glad that you appreciated it. (laughs) It's so good. That's fine. I'm just, again, the third wheel on this date with Brandon and a guest. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let us go next to... Isabelle Huppert as Michelle in L. This is her sole nomination thus far. Um, big competitor here for this for this Oscar. Wins all across the board. Golden Globe, Best Actress in a Drama, the Cesar Award, the LA Film Critics, the National Society of Film Critics, the New York Film Critics, and the Independent Spirit Award for Best Actress. Now, her only big nomination came from the Critics' Choice, um, and that was her only nom for the big awards there. Um, again, Isabel plays Michelle, who is a woman who gets raped and decides to take the law or the law and kind of like a revenge plan into her own hands to figure out who did it, um, while at the same time being weirdly. Hold on, let me let me let me start that again. Scratch that. Uh, Three, two, one. Okay, so Isabel uh, plays Michelle in L, who is a woman who 
uh, is the head of a video game company who gets raped, takes the law and the revenge plan into her own, own hands, and is weirdly paranoid with her ex-husband. Um, Josh, start us off. What do you think? So I have very mixed feelings about this nomination. And I think it comes at a crossroads of how I feel about her and how I feel about the movie that she's in. I first want to say that obviously Isabel Huppert is great. We all know that she's an incredible actress and this nomination was long overdue. And I think that she is playing a character that obviously has many layers to her and is a very psychologically complex person. And I think that you do get that a lot in what she brings to it. I think, unfortunately, she is working with material that doesn't help her. I don't really find this character just on the page to be all that compelling, just like the movie itself, which I have a ton of problems with. But if I'm just talking about the performance itself, she is incredibly captivating and she does have a lot of mystery in her portrayal that does make it interesting to watch her but i also think at the same time this is a performance that doesn't really showcase what i normally can love about her as an actress and i think that she had even another movie this year that was a better showcase of her performance of of her uh, acting ability so I totally get the love for this for this film and for this performance, and I think that she is very impressive, but I also feel like there's something to it that just doesn't go into the upper stratosphere of me loving this performance. And some of that is things that she's doing as a performer, and some of it is the movie around her, but at the end of the day, it's kind of one of those things where I like it, but I don't love it. Yeah, uh, this performance is wild and very tricky. Um, so I chose to rewatch this movie for this podcast. I thought about going into it having not seen it since because I didn't know if I was in the right mind frame to watch it again because it was really difficult to watch it the first time uh, way back when it was out in theaters. And there's a whole lot going on in this performance. Um, There's times when I don't know if I completely buy that this character is a real person. And yet at the same time, I just kind of go along with it. And I think that Isabelle Huppert is just so talented as an actress that she's able to just like take my hand and drag me along for this bonkers movie. And, um, She has some really lovely moments of dark humor in this movie that I think help because on the surface, this movie is very uh, bleak considering the subject matter and um, just, you know, the basic plot of what it's about with a woman being savagely raped and then becoming sort of obsessed with her rapist and trying to figure out who he is and get closer to him and all that. But there's some moments of humor that I really dig, like all the scenes with her mother, who I am convinced is the uh, Andrea Martin of France. She is just amazing. (laughs) And the scene where she intentionally um, 
rams her husband's car and then just goes into the bar like it's nothing and then they come out and she's like oh someone hit your car and then she gets into her own and takes off and he's like what the fuck i i think those moments really help and they also sort of inform the viewer a little bit as to who this character is she has a bit of a i don't know if sadistic is the right word but she has a bit of a really sinister edge to her which I think helps me to believe that someone like her would respond to her rape in the way that she does. And it helps me believe that she would really try to track down this person and possibly get into some weird romantic question mark situation with her potential rapist. Um, It's a very complex performance in a crazy movie uh, paul verhoven uh is an amazing director who does not get enough credit over here in the states um i can't wait for his movie that he has coming out soon with charlotte rambling um yeah i think isabel Huppert is bananas and a half and i love it so first off i want to say that i would have very much been interested had Sharon Stone accepted the role as she was offered this first when this was going to be done in English um, and turned it down. Holy hell, what a film that would have been just in itself because this is a Sharon Stone stand podcast, uh, you know, clearly. Yes. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Facts. Facts all day. Now, I want to asterisk how I talk about Elle. Um because I want to answer I'm just I'm going to be as blunt as possible with this okay I am never I've never used it as a red badge of courage I've used it as it's a part of what I went through in my life so I'm going to be speaking into this film and answering hopefully that question that Brandon just had in the realm of a rape survivor okay so this is not a woe is me this is a how I this movie personally um was for me as one of those. Now, with that said, I fucking love this movie. I think this is amazing. I agree with the Globes. Best foreign language film. The Oscars really ripped it off with not even a nomination. Paul Verhoeven deserved the best actor or best director nomination. Huppert is magnifique here. She is wonderful. She is, and I'm so glad that you brought up the dark humor because she is funny she is over the top this is a caricature if i've ever fucking seen one this is you the trailer of this movie even feels like it is some homemade college film that doesn't make sense i mean you look at even the cover art to this film and it's like one of the most photoshop posters i've ever seen and i've seen we've all seen the heat when that was photoshopped like it is just it doesn't make sense um this movie is, I love this movie. I, I, I own this on Blu-ray. The perform, it's, it, it's just great. Now, the performance really gets to me, as we all know, I, I have a hard-on for the French language and French uh, language uh, actors. And I was rooting for Huppert to get in because everyone was like, there's no way she's going to get in. I remember her Golden Globe being a shock despite her literally leading every actress nominee in Precursor Wins. Um, which I'll get to in a moment because we have questions about that. But um, yeah, I love this. It is amazing. Now, to hopefully this makes sense a little bit. 
Um, again, I can only speak for myself, so, you know, it is what it is. Um, the idea, Brandon, that you had that maybe this isn't the way someone goes into their, um, after being raped, how they react. Um, I think I also connected to this movie because I was raped at 16 by my 26-year-old cousin. And I had not the same reaction of revenge, but had this idea that if I got close to him, I could expose him. So I understand where they went with that character and that decision. I hope that makes sense. Again, for anyone listening, I can only speak for myself. I'm not speaking for other rape victims. That's how I reacted when it happened to me. So I understood that on a personal level. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Hooper is spot on perfect here. And again, please, anyone listening, don't take this as like a woe is me or play me a, a violin. I'm just using my own experience to express this film for myself. And I totally get that position. And I, you know, certainly can't take anything away from that personal connection that you have to sort of what this character goes through. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's just that for me, I, I certainly identify what they're trying to go for with this character, but I feel like it is a bit inconsistent. And I feel that also translates into parts of her performance that yes, it is, it is kind of wild in a lot of places and it can be very entertaining, but it also seems like it sort of loses the larger context of what this story is supposed to be. And the performance then itself feels a little disconnected. Like, yeah, I can appreciate some bits of dark humor, but sometimes uh, I think a movie needs to be focused on where those humorous bits land. And I think even in her performance, it feels a bit inconsistent as to when I'm really appreciating it. And I'm certainly not going to say that I think it's a bad performance. I think that if there is any reason for me to watch this movie, which I'm a little less enthusiastic on than, than you two are, it is going to be for her. But I think at the same time, there are the issues that I have with the movie itself do kind of bleed into some of the choices that she makes as an actor, which as entertaining and as engaging as they often are, are a bit at odds, I think, with how effective it could really be in terms of me getting into this story and this uh, character arc that she's going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a big theme to this movie, too, when you think and look back at it is really it's a sadomasochistic film because it uses violence and sexuality and I mean that even violence when it comes to sex you know if you think of like others the the only film that I can think of right off the bat right now that deals with sadomasochism is like Hellraiser right so we get the horror aspect and I think this is a great reality aspect of quote-unquote reality in film um, that happens with this type of subject matter. Yeah, I think uh, Paul Verhoeven is no stranger to exploitation in his mm. films. So I think that plays a lot into the execution of this movie and um, what he was sort of going for. Perhaps that reads as a little um, sensational at times, and maybe it doesn't quite stick the landing for um, every uh, viewer. But going into this movie, not being familiar with Verhoeven's work and being, I was kind of vaguely familiar with Hooper. It 
it kind of came together and it worked for me for what it was, what I felt like it was um, seeking out to be. But I can definitely see where Josh is coming from, where with a different director or with a revised script, this movie could have gone in a slightly different direction and um, hit different people on a different level, I guess. Mm-hmm. Does that, that make sense? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, we have a question that doesn't deal with Cooper directly, but I wanted to wait until we got to her for this. It's from Fritz and the Oscars. Even if you don't agree with Emma's win, are you maybe on some level still happy that an original performance won over the obligatory... Uh, uh, the mm, Brandon, uh, the... Obligatory? <laughs> Thank you. I, so I did say it right. I'm sorry. My brain just farted out there. Biopic. Sorry, guys. More Words with more than one syllable. Can't do them. Um... <laughs> Do you, uh, so yeah, are you happy that an original performance won over a biopic performance? Here's the thing. This is why I wanted to wait until we got to Isabel. You had two original pieces here. You had Emma's and you had Isabel's. I'm happy when the Oscars go outside of the box, so I would have been happy either way. I mean, I'm relatively fine with Emma Stone having an Oscar. Um, well, of course, in a little bit, we'll get to whether or not I would give it to her, but um, I not I am not opposed to biopics in the way that a lot of people are. I know there's a lot of people who, when they hear the term biopic, they like physically cringe. And um, yeah, sometimes the Oscars go for those performances. Uh, sometimes they're Oscar baby in all caps, but um, they're not all bad. And um, this lineup in particular, I don't think they're all bad. And uh, sure. I'm fine with Emma Stone having an Oscar. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I agree with the logic that not all biopic performances are bad. It just depends on the material and the performer themselves and what they're doing with it. And, you know, sometimes there are really great performances that people give that they just happen to be playing a real life person. So I, you know... I don't begrudge Emma Stone having an Oscar for La La Land either, but it's because I think that she gives a really good performance, not necessarily because she's playing an original character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next up, we had Ruth Nega as Mildred Loving in Loving. This is her sole nomination thus far. Get this, guys. Only three precursors going into this. The Golden Globe nomination for Actress in a Drama, the Critics' Choice Nom, and the Independent Spirit Award. Um, in Loving, again, Ruth plays Mildred who is one of the two people responsible um, for uh, is set for leading the charge on interracial marriage in this country. We actually just celebrated Loving Day a few weeks ago here in the States. Um, and the film is all about her interracial relationship and eventual marriage with her white husband. And after numerous times of being arrested, prosecuted, and eventually shunned and banned from her hometown um she leads the charge on getting the case to the supreme court so brandon tell us about ruth and your thoughts so i really like this performance quite a bit and this movie is growing on me um when i first watched it um i thought it was just okay um i didn't see anything super spectacular about it but it's a movie that has kind of been stewing with me ever since um i really dig how this movie could have been one of those Oscar Beatty to the max movies and it could have been so much bigger but it decides to take these 
more low key choices and just feel a little bit more real and a little bit less Hollywood. And I think Ruth Nega as a performer matches that approach. There are so many moments that feel like throwaway moments with her character, but I wouldn't categorize them that personally. They feel very natural and at home. And it doesn't, this performance does not seem like a performance that Ruth Nega went into knowing it was going to be an Oscar nomination. It doesn't feel like she's performing it that way. She's just being really true to the character. And she has these moments that, um, I don't know if another performer would have made the same choices. Like in the scene with um, Michael Shannon, where he's asking her if she's nervous for the court case. I believe they're going in front of like the state Supreme Court or something at that point. And um, he asks if she's nervous and she just kind of shrugs. and like, oh, I guess maybe a little bit. And then he asks if they're going to succeed, if she thinks they're going to win. And she has this moment where she's like, no, not really. I think we might lose it, but in the long run, hopefully things will turn out for the better. And I feel like another actor would have really played into those lines and milked them in a way that she doesn't. And I really respect that. Um, I think that's a really bold, it's really bold to not be bold, if that makes sense. And I think Ruth Nega is really wonderful here. Uh, Josh, how do you feel? I agree with pretty much all those sentiments. Um, I also remember watching Loving the first time back in 2016 and also feeling like that was good. I enjoyed it, but didn't really think about it much afterwards. And revisiting it for our discussion, I really did find myself appreciating her performance a, a great deal more. Um, it is definitely a very quiet performance and it is very internalized. And I think for a lot of people that does come across as unmemorable, but I do think that if you actually look at what she's doing, there is a lot of layers that she's working with and she manages to convey a great deal in very few things that she does. I, I think that there's so much that she conveys in just a look in her eyes and it says a lot of what her character's going through. And it makes sense that this is a quiet performance because the Lovings were essentially, as they are predicted, uh, as they are shown in this film anyway, are very quiet people. They don't want to be the type of people to make waves. They just want to be left alone and live their lives. And I think it makes sense in terms of the themes of the film that the performance would emulate that and i think that it's very captivating it's again it is very internalized and it doesn't go in for those very big moments but i think it is for the better i think that that actually helps to connect more with what uh she's doing as a performer and what this character is supposed to be in this larger story and i think that those are very intelligent decisions to make as an actor that i think are beneficial to this performance and to this film so we have this in common with this one. I also remember seeing this movie for the first time. I actually watched it um, for the screeners for the Independent Spirit Awards that year. That was the first time that I had seen it. And I, first of all, this movie is two plus hours long and it does not feel like it's runtime, which is surprising because it is such a, it, it, it is a, I don't want to say slow pace, but it's, it, what, what do you call those films? It's a, um, like deliberately paced. No, it's slow burner. Yeah. 
it's a slow burn movie and it first of all does not feel like it's runtime i recently watched this a couple weeks ago on hbo max because it is on there as of right now of this recording and i could not believe how much this is that perfect example that i mentioned earlier about a film that i can revisit my lineup will change i cannot believe how much i missed out the first time in ruth's performance in loving it is spectacular um she is so subtle there is not a single moment. I, the moment Brandon was actually talking about was my was my opening line here as well for this podcast is her Oscar clip moment, which I find interesting because she doesn't really have an Oscar clippy moment in this performance. But this is a performance that is a well-rounded, unbelievably fantastically done role. And... Loving, I just feel like, had such a weird, came-out-of-nowhere type of campaign. And, you know, Josh mentioned it earlier, people didn't really... People were shocked when Ruth, her name was mentioned um, on Oscar Day or Oscar nomination morning. And I, I it, it's just so funny to me because it really just seemed to come out of nowhere. Like, it seemed like the Globes, that's as far as Loving was going to get, and then it just kept going for her. Um, this is so good. I cannot believe how much because uh, you know i'm usually a very big performance type of person i cannot believe how much i loved this the second go and i think that if anyone else would have attempted this it just would not have worked um i do also think that ruth didn't go into this thinking this was an oscar nomination um and i would also like to point out i mentioned this in 2012 but um God damn it, it's been enough time. Why Ruth hasn't gotten anything else? She's a leading Oscar-nominated actress, for fuck's sake. I under- like. Trust me, I understand there are issues in the industry with black women leading films, but can someone get her a fucking role, please? That isn't a cameo in Ad Astra? Please? Please? <laughs> That's all I ask. I, because I want to see agree. more of her. I want to see more of Ruth. She's so good here. She's so good. When you said that the movie was over two hours long, I went, no, it's not. And I quickly looked it up, and it's just barely over two hours. So, yeah, it does not feel like it's runtime, because I did not believe you when you said that. But, um, (laughs) yeah, this is a movie that I think, if you've only seen it once, and you didn't really care for it, or Ruth Nega's performance, I highly recommend watching it a second time. Because it was on the second viewing that it really hit me, both the movie itself and Ruth Nega's performance. Um, I, well, then again, it hit me over time. I rewatched it, and I was still like, that was pretty good. But it was like the days following my viewing of it, I started putting some pieces together and really, like, peeling some things back in my mind, like replaying moments from the movie in my head. And um, there's so much more to this movie than meets the eye. And it's so easy to overlook what this movie is really exploring because it is so nondescript it's so inconspicuous in a way it doesn't feel like that that oscar biopic powerhouse type of movie it's very confident in the way that it is told and ruth nega is very confident in the way that she performs this real life person so definitely give loving another chance if you've only seen it once and you didn't care for it i yeah would highly recommend that as well it is a performance that if you just see it the one time, it is so easy to kind of just dismiss it because you don't really pick up on all of those small moments that are 
supposed to be the performance. And I think that it does need time to sit with you to really take into all those little moments that then add up to just so many great decisions uh, for really connecting to this character on a more subtle way. And I think it is really, really incredible work. I almost feel pity for Nega because we all agree that we got more out of it the second time. And most voters would only, I mean, I only watched this one time before I voted that year. Um, And I think it hurt not seeing it a second time until years later because yeah, yeah, I just think that this is a film that you needed to see more than once to actually cast a vote. That's all I'm going to say as of right now. Many of them probably didn't even watch it once. Yeah. All right, guys, right. I'm going to attempt this. Last up, we have Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy and Jackie. <laughs> this is her third of three nominations thus far. Going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination, a BAFTA nom, Independent Spirit Award, and SAG Award nomination for Best Actress. Winning, though, at Critics' Choice. Um, that was my attempt at Jackie Kennedy, if that was even an attempt. Um, let me know what you guys think. At me. Um, so <laughs> with that said, again, Natalie plays Jackie in Jackie, the titular role. We got a lot of titular roles here this year. Um, and this is the, a biopic that tells the story of Jackie Kennedy in the moments and days and weeks following the assassination of JFK. Uh, who did I start with last time? Brandon. Okay. So uh, Josh, finish us off here. What do you think? I absolutely love this performance. Um, I think that it basically does a lot of stuff that I usually love in these types of movies. That First of all, the movie itself is sort of an unconventional biopic, which I already am predisposed to really be into. And I think that this is a performance that is definitely big and it is definitely showy, but I think it also hits all the right notes that it needs to when it needs to be kind of outrageous and rather campy to be honest i think that it is very entertaining to watch but i think that portman also sells those very serious moments too that um are incredibly powerful and emotional and i think that it, this is a performance that is a lot but it's to me the good kind of a lot it's the performance that I really do appreciate all of the very big things that happen within it, but also find myself really connecting to it on an emotional level where there are these quieter conversations that she's having. And yeah, just top to bottom, I think that this is really an incredible performance. Yeah, I really like it too. Um, I didn't realize that Natalie Portman was starring in Club 96. (laughs) Um, I do really dig it also. Um, I really love that you mentioned that there is a a level of camp to it because I could not put my finger on it when I was re-watching this movie, but there was something about this performance that just felt somehow otherworldly. And I think there is a serious camp-ish nature to it and I think it kind of works considering the person that this movie is about and the family that this movie is about um Natalie Portman goes through like every single loop of grieving in this movie without really holding up a sign and saying what stage of the process she's in um her scenes with, uh, is it Billy Crudup, who's the interviewer? Yeah. Um, yeah. I love those scenes where she's like 
kind of angry and a little bit mean and kind of like icy bitchy. I really love that side of this character uh, where she's like going off and telling him all kinds of things that he's getting the biggest scoop in the world. And then she's like, oh, by the way, you can't write any of that. And I don't know, there's such a, it's such a power move that I really dig. And um, even before that, in the flashback portions, I think she really sells the composed devastation that this character is going through because Jackie Kennedy went through what is maybe one of the most traumatic things that a person can go through while on live national television. And she had to find a way to keep it together, quote unquote, because of who she was and the position, the role that she filled. And I think Natalie Portman really finds a way to ride that line and balance all of that, staying true to the character and what she's feeling in any given moment and how fast those feelings are changing while keeping in mind she is the first lady of the United States or at least the former first lady, however you, whatever point in the movie you're in. And uh, I also, I mean, I think it has to be said, I think her voice work is fantastic here. There were so many moments when I was revisiting Jackie where I felt like I needed to watch Grey Gardens because of how great her voice work is. I don't know if you guys have seen Grey Gardens, but you absolutely must if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Natalie's really good here. And um, I know that she's a lot of people's pick to uh, win this Oscar in this category, and I understand why. I I think she showcases a lot of what makes her a strong performer. There's a lot of subtlety going on here um, behind the eyes, while we're also getting a lot of stuff here on on the surface, you could say, with her accent work and her physicality of Jackie Kennedy. So um, there's a lot going on here that I think is um, worthy of praise. So Joey, how do you feel? So I want to mention, first off, I think it's ridiculous that this movie did not get cinematography because the cinematography work in this film is breathtaking. Let me just start with that. Um, Getting to Natalie, I, despite my awful attempt at Jackie Kennedy's voice, um, her voice is very distinct. It's not easy to do. Um, it makes me think back to the Wales of August and how the down East Maine accent is so specific in American accents, um, that I still can't, I don't, I've never heard people that actually talked like Jackie Kennedy. So with that said, I'm very distracted by Natalie Portman here because I, the whole time I'm never thinking it's Jackie Kennedy. I'm thinking it's Natalie Portman playing Jackie Kennedy, if that makes sense. Um, I, I don't hate this. I don't love this. I'm not neutral on it. I think this is a perfectly fine performance. Um, I find the fanboys to this performance to be very odd. Um, especially because she, like Natalie really wasn't a threat to win this Oscar. Um, and I'll get to that in a second with facts to back it up. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just always seeing Natalie Portman act for the camera here and it's not Jackie Kennedy in front of me. So, uh, 
the accent obviously plays a big part into that, which is odd though, because when I hear Jackie Kennedy, I'm like, yeah, that's Jackie Kennedy. But when I hear Natalie Portman, I'm like, this is ja- this is Natalie Portman playing Jackie Kennedy. It's never, it's never like a full character for me. Um, so that's me. I mean, I do think that there is something about this performance that is very polarizing, and I think that the voice definitely goes into that there i do agree with you to a point that there is something about this performance that isn't going to try to go to this realm of like making you believe that she's inhabiting jackie kennedy like i don't think that this is a daniel day lewis and lincoln situation where she's working so hard to make you believe that she is this person that you have even somewhat familiarity with but what i appreciate about the performance is that I find that it walks this very fine line between being like not an impersonation, but that like impression of somebody, but it also feels very real to me. It feels like somebody that is going through this very traumatic thing that happened in her life while also dealing with the larger world around her and all the scrutiny and kind of just processing that. And there are moments where it seems so over the top and ridiculous, but it really works for me in the context of this movie. And, you know, this is definitely a performance that, as I mentioned before, it it does feel very campy to me. I mean, there's a scene where she's smoking and drinking wine while listening to a Broadway musical. Like, it's, it, I think it has a lot of camp value in it, but at the same time, there are these very real emotional moments, like those scenes that she shares with John Hurt as the priest that I found to be very moving. So... I get that there's a lot going on in this performance, and I think that the alchemy that's happening for some people doesn't quite get the combination right, but for me, it's one of those things where it's actually, like, dialed in so perfectly, and I I love the movie in general, but her performance, I think, is one of those anchor bits in it that embodies so much of what I do like of it, which is, it's big, it's making very distinct choices, but they're choices that work profoundly on me personally yeah i think me too mostly the second time around um i think when i saw it the first time i was kind of in that camp of oh it's just the oscar biopic whatever and i think i went into it with that attitude and it weighed negatively on my feelings of the movie and re-watching it for this kind of like with loving i had a new found appreciation for it and i saw some things that i didn't quite see before And I kind of like that um, Natalie Portman and Pablo Lorraine did not try to create this perfect representation, cookie cutter of Jackie Kennedy. And they just, they tried to find the essence of who Jackie Kennedy was as a complicated, conflicted person. And I kind of dig that. Um, I wish more biopics would do that, focus a little bit less on the makeup or casting someone who looks identical to the person that they're portraying and just really find find the core of the subject and really explore that and bring it to life. And I feel like um, Lorraine and Portman really succeeded in that department here with Jackie. Well, boys, are you ready for me to bust out some facts? <laughs> Alternative I, facts? Uh, false actual facts and i'm gonna have to do this again when we get to 2019 when people can actually realize that florence Pugh, not kathy bates took jennifer lopez's spot okay so one of the questions we got was from sarcastic alien 
Who do you think was closer to defeat Emma Stone, Isabelle Huppert or Natalie Portman? So this got me thinking to this weird conspiracy theory that Film Twitter has for the Portman stands of this year. Now, I went through all of Portman, Huppert, and Stone, essentially the three people who, quote-unquote, were in the, in the uh, race to win this, okay? So I, I counted all of the precursors. Now, going off of every precursor and every win that each of these ladies won for this, or up until this Oscar, going into Oscar night, there is 57 precursors from Portman, okay? Huppert has 52 precursors, and Stone has 44. Now, going off of wins, Portman only has 21 wins out of those 57 precursors. Huppert has 37 wins out of her 52 precursors, and Stone actually only has 13 wins going off of precursors. Now, if you were to go off of precursors alone, sure, yeah, Portman's got the nominations, therefore, quote-unquote, it's in the bag for her. However, Portman only wins Critics' Choice here. Critics' Choice is a precursor, but it is not a, what I would consider, like, it is one of the big ones, but it's not like SAG or the Globes, it, or BAFTA. It's not the top, you know, three. So the idea that Portman even really stood a chance to the major precursor winners of Huppert and Stone makes me laugh because she really did not stand a chance to win here. So right, right away, I want to put that to bed. Now, if you go off of the winners of precursors alone, Huppert is the one to beat here. She's got 37 wins of the 52 nominations. So really, this was Huppert's to lose. Now, however... You go off of the major precursor wins. Stone had this in the bag. So really, it was between Stone and Huppert with Portman really being a dark horse possibility. So they're spitting some real facts for you people who want to say Portman was like the up against this. She didn't stand a chance to win. Now, to answer, I mean, there's that. I really spent time on this this afternoon to put this together. <laughs> um, so who do I think was closer to defeating Emma Stone is... Isabelle Huppert. Now, who do I, to answer this question in reality, who do I think was the biggest person to possibly defeat Isabelle Huppert? Emma Stone. Natalie Portman was never a factor in this race. Thoughts? I don't know if I would say that Natalie Portman was never a factor. I think that Natalie Portman, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've been like in deep with that race. I feel like she kind of had early momentum where people sort of assumed, oh, you know, it's Natalie Portman as a real person. She's won an Oscar before. They might want to fold or, you know, kind of invite her back into the fold. And I feel like very early on, she kind of had buzz, at least maybe thinking she would take off in the major precursors, like at the Globes and SAG. And I think that's one of the reasons why she won at Critics' Choice, because I feel like that's an organization that puts predicting the Oscars ahead of actual merit. Um... But I think that at the Globes, once Huppert won that, it sort of put her in the position of being recognized by the industry. And I would say that by the time we got really fully into like the Oscars and and the actual ceremony date, I would agree that Huppert was sort of the runner-up at that point. And Natalie Portman was just like a respectable third. And, you know, I would certainly argue that there's evidence that you can maybe point to to say that she earlier on Portman was kind of the one to beat but I think that as it went on it became a race between Stone and Huppert and at that point I don't really think Portman really was in contention 
So I'm not quite so positive in either direction. I think sometimes folks like us treat precursors like they're variables in an algebra problem. And you can add up, you know, precursors and multiply by this and carry the one here and do the math. But at the end of the day, it's what the Academy members watched and what they vote for. And I think it's very possible that Hooper very well might have been a runner-up conceivably, considering there's so much overlap with Academy members and other industry awards and whatnot. But um, I have a feeling that Jackie's the kind of movie that most Academy members at large were more likely to watch than Elle um, for various reasons, uh, the subject matter, uh, one being a foreign language film, et cetera. So um, I don't, I don't disagree that Hooper very well might have been um, a runner-up, especially after those couple of major wins. It's an indicator that she was at least on people's minds. But I don't think Natalie Portman was very far behind, um, and she very well might have been the runner-up. I, I, I just have a feeling that Academy people were more likely to watch Jackie and therefore vote for it, or just vote for it because she was playing Jackie Kennedy. Because we know people in the Academy don't always watch the movies that they're voting for. People in the Academy have said that themselves. So um, it's possible it could have been either of them. I'm not quite so positive. I think that the Academy members would have been more likely to watch Jackie. I think that's a good argument, but I don't think many of them liked Jackie that much. I think that's representative in the nominations that it got. And mm -hmm. I think that you could say the same thing about Elle, but that was always going to be a very polarizing movie to begin with. And I think that as the season went on, there was this momentum for Hooper as this very well-respected actress who deserved a nomination for so long. And it seemed like there was momentum building to reward that performance. I think she also won the, the spirit award, right? I think. Yes. Yeah. So it, I don't think that there was enough momentum to really ever overtake Emma Stone. Um, I think that was always going to happen, but it seemed like that there was this buzz happening around the time as we were leading up to the Oscars, where it's like people were really getting excited about the idea that Hooper could win. And I think that emotion is what really put her in like the second place position or at least in the position of if anybody could take it away from Emma Stone, it could be this person. And I think that's what landed her in that spot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with either of you. I just think it's, it's a tricky, uh, Tricky problem to solve. Yeah. And any way we solve it is just going to be conjecture anyway. Right? Yeah, exactly. Well, a big person who missed out this year was Amy Adams. And uh, we I, we got a lot of questions regarding her. So I kind of want to just go to two of them because I think they both make pretty good points. From uh, Katrin Ross. Uh, all I can think about is where the hell is Amy Adams? Who bumped her out and just like, how was it possible? Sigh, a bunch of ellipses. Um, I want to start this one because I'm going to be the quickest. I don't think Amy Adams did anything to be worthy of a nomination for Arrival. I also don't like Arrival. Um, I never understood the fascination with this film or this performance. So I've said it before. I don't want to be a broken record. I'm just going to move it along. Um, Josh? You know, Arrival is a movie that I remember liking but not loving. Um, and actually, I probably haven't seen it since 
2016. I did not get to revisit it before our conversation. I kind of wanted to, but I just didn't have the time. And I, yeah, I feel like it's a good performance and she definitely had the precursor support to get there. But I feel like with a combination of just there being other performances that people liked more and don't forget that she also had internal competition because she had nocturnal animals this same year. So she probably was fighting with herself. Um, I think that, it was just one of those things where it just kind of got messy and she fell through the cracks. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything Josh said. Um, I also think as a performance, it's sort of like Ruth Nega, where I can see on first watch, it doesn't feel like she's doing anything spectacular. But um, it's been a minute since I've seen it. But when I did watch it for the second time a couple years ago, I saw more in the performance than I did the first time, especially once you know the sort of twist or whatever you want to call it about the bending of time and all that and the choices that the character makes at different moments. Um, so I think there is more to the performance than initially meets the eye. Um, in addition to what Josh was saying, she's also dealing with um, a little bit of genre issues. And the movie definitely deserved its nominations where it got them in the craft categories where the Oscars are a little bit more friendly to genre. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if it weighed against her in an acting category, especially considering how um, low-key it is. I feel like I've used that word like a half a dozen times today. But it's, it's not a performance that really um, shines a spotlight onto itself. So I can see why it was easy for people to disregard it. I don't know. There's, there's a few factors going into it. Well, the final question about this, if Amy Adams was, oh, this is from SJ Driscoll 84. If, Adia, if Amy Adams was sixth, was betting seventh for a 20th century woman, or was it Jessica Chastain for Miss Sloan? Um, I want to, in a perfect world, say it was Jessica Chastain, but Benning has more precursors, but I'm going to stick with Chastain because I love Miss Sloan. Hmm. Well, I kind of want to say Annette Benning because I love 20th century women. Yeah, uh, as a movie, I lean more toward 20th century women. I like Jessica Chastain in Miss Sloan, but I think as a viewer, I was, I'm was i a little bit more into what Annette Benning is doing in 20th century women. So I want to say it was more her ball game. And 20th Century Women also had a screenplay nomination, too, so it was a little bit more on the radar, I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, fuck me on this date, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, again, I mean, I do really like JD, Jessica Chastain in that you. movie. <laughs> no, it's okay. I Trust me, I get it. I think uh, the Globes were, was the only place that Chastain showed up. But it is one of six nominations I think Chastain should have by now, so... I'm going to say Sloan. Okay, so as a reminder, your supporting actress nominations were Viola Davis in Fences, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion, Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures, and Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. And I'm just going to go ahead and put Viola Davis in my number five spot for Fences just simply because she doesn't belong in this category. Um, it'd be a worthy nomination in lead. And she might rank pretty highly if she were in lead, but um, this is not her category in my opinion. So she's my number five for fences. Josh, how about you? Um, so, well, first of all, I'm going to say that I think we're going to have a slight um, 
intellectual disagreement when it comes to judging performances that commit category fraud. Uh, and I'm very excited to have that. So because of that, I'm actually not going to put Viola Davis in the bottom spot. Um, I'm going to put Nicole Kidman there. Uh, I just find that performance to be fine. It's okay, but I don't really find that it's one that I think is exceptional for me. Well, um, I'm cutting in on this date between you two, so Brandon and I can go frolic together in <laughs> Viola Davis category fraud fields. Um, yeah, Viola Davis has no business being in this category, let alone winning here, so she's at five. My number four is going to be Nicole Kidman for Lion. Um, I like her in this movie a little bit more than uh, probably most people out there. Um, but it's not exactly her finest turn, in my opinion. And uh, the other uh, co-nominees in this category are doing a little bit more for me. So Nicole Kidman and Lion is my number four. My number four is Octavia Spencer. Uh, this is, like we said, a performance that it's good. We like her. She has such a nice presence. But at the same time, it's not the best in the movie. It's not really something that is you know, a revelation in terms of her performances that she's given in the past. And it's like just sort of fine, but in, in all the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really rise above that. My number four, I'm giving it to Michelle Williams. This is such a small role that has that one Oscar scene moment. Like I said it before, you're not going to get a win from me if you're just a single scene winner or single scene person, um, there's no character here. Um, it's not her fault, it's just written that way. But um, yeah, I can't do anything with one scene and Williams has got to go at four. Octavia Spencer is my number three for Hidden Figures. I love Octavia Spencer. She is so good at finding these little tiny micro moments in a script and really blowing them up and making them lively as hell on screen and I, I'm always delighted to see her on screen as a performer but um, she's not my favorite of the three in her own movie and um, the other two that I have left just do a little more for me so uh, Octavia Spencer is my number three for Hidden Figures. Josh? My number three is Naomi Harris for Moonlight. Uh, I do really like this performance. I like it a great deal. I think she's great in it but I do come back to those first couple moments of her performance that are just a little choppy for me, and that does kind of put it a little bit lower. But I do like it more than um, what Kidman and Spencer are doing, and I still think at the end of the day it's a really it's a really solid performance. So that's why I have it at number three. My number three is also going to be Octavia Spencer. Um... I think she's doing more. She's doing better work here than Williams because she actually has more to work with. But it's just it's middle of the road. It's fine. She's not my favorite of the three. Like I mentioned, she'd be in, you know, compared to Janelle and Taraji, she's my third favorite. But it's not last place worthy, and it's not win worthy. So I'm going to place her right in the middle. My runner up is Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I think she's absolutely devastating in this performance and she takes a lot out of me 
when I watch it. And um, she manages to be something that stays on my mind after the movie's over. But I'm giving Naomi Harris the win for Moonlight. Um, this performance completely took me by storm in another way while watching uh, Moonlight in the theater. And um, I think when the movie's over, I have a better impression of who Paula is than I do who Randy is. So I feel like that might be helping in some regard. And um, I think Naomi Harris is just highlighting her various talents a little bit more in this performance. I know a lot of it has to do with the movie and the opportunities that it's giving to its performer, but um, considering what we are being shown, I'm a little bit more in the Naomi Harris camp. So uh, Naomi Harris is my winner for Moonlight. So Josh, who are your runner-up and winner? So my runner-up is Michelle Williams. Um, I feel like this is another performance that is very small, but I feel it is consistently engaging. And whether big moments or small moments, I feel like it is really always connecting with me, and I appreciate that, which does mean that my winner is still Viola Davis. And I certainly understand the the category fraud argument, and I know that that is something that you guys take very big issue with, and it, like is a very big disqualifier. And it's something that I've wrestled with myself, but I think at the end of the day, I always still try to judge the performances that are given to me. And yeah, category fraud can be tricky sometimes, but I always just try to go based on the performances that I see. And of these five, I did find myself just being so captivated by what Viola Davis was doing. I think every moment is very powerful and it feels so real, no matter if it's very grandiose or these intimate character moments that are so quiet, it, but still have such intensity to them that despite, you know, taking issue with what category that it's in, the performance itself is something that I just really can't deny. So I know that kind of goes against the philosophy that you carry, but that is who I think gives the best performance and therefore is my personal winner. Hey, don't apologize for who you pick, you know. We'll judge you later. It's fine. No, I'm um, <laughs> so Naomi Naomi Harris is my runner-up. I'm giving Nicole Kidman the win here. Um, the, the first four ladies that I mentioned uh, should have been no surprise where I was going here because I'm not really thrilled with any of them. Um, Harris is just fine. And even though I did mention, like, going in after seeing um, Moonlight, I never expected her to be nominated I'm sure people are like, what? She's your runner-up. But yeah, that's because she's the best out of the other like uh, nominations. You know what I mean? Um, Kidman, though, rocks this. Kidman really hit me on a whole nother level. Like I said, I think this is her or her one of two best nominations, the other being Rabbit Hole. Um, this just, if, like I said earlier, if you don't find Kidman or you're not fond of Kidman here, really go back and rewatch it and realize what she's doing here is the most heart-wrenching mother in that scenario possible and it's just beautiful so i gotta give it to kidman so with that said your uh, as a recap your nominees for leading actress were natalie portman and jackie meryl streep and florence foster jenkins emma St uh in wait yeah meryl streep sorry that was a lot of names there all at once meryl streep in florence foster jenkins emma stone in la la land isabelle Huppert in l and Ruth Nega in Loving, five, Meryl Streep. This is her worst nomination. Goodbye. Uh, Josh? 
Yeah, I would agree that Meryl Streep is number five. I still know if I would call it her absolute worst nomination, but it's definitely not a great one, and it's by far the most forgettable performance in this group. Meryl Streep is also my number five. Uh, I was a little bit kinder earlier, so maybe I just felt like it 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 needed a little bit of kindness in its life. But um, it's definitely toward the bottom of Meryl's nominations for me, and it's definitely the weakest in this lineup. So Meryl Streep is my number five for Florence Foster Jenkins. My number four is Natalie Portman. Um, this is the, the the voice. That voice is so distracting. It just like I said, when I'm watching it, I see Natalie Portman trying to intimidate Jackie Kennedy in a movie. I don't see Jackie Kennedy. So, um, yeah, Portman's got to go for. My number four is, I'm sorry to say, but it is Isabelle Huppert. Uh, I think that she is a brilliant actress, and I love her in pretty much everything that she's in. But there is just something about this performance that didn't quite connect with me like it does for... A lot of other people, it's more something that I appreciate more than I actually like. So for that, I, I do rank it as number four. My number four is Emma Stone for La La Land. Um, I think Emma Stone is perfectly awesome in this movie. Uh, she is firing on all of her signature cylinders in this one. Uh, but it's not exactly my cup of tea. It's not the type of thing I gravitate towards. So personally speaking, Emma Stone is my number four for La La Land. Number three, I'm giving Emma Stone with a very hard RuPaul. Meh. Um, yeah, hate the movie. Really fucking hate the movie. Stone is the only saving grace, but I'm never going to rewatch it again. And if I have to, it's only going to be for Emma Stone. So she's middle of the road here. Definitely not win-worthy, though. Uh, my number three is Ruth Nega, which I think actually before we started uh, our discussion, I probably actually would have switched Hupera Nega. But as I've thought about her performance more and as we've discussed it, I, I just really find myself appreciating so many of those small moments that uh, Ruth Nega has in that movie. And I think that it is those are choices that you don't see too many actors making. And I find myself really appreciating it. The more that I think about it, um, it's still not something that I think is that surpasses the other performances that I do prefer, but it's still really, really solid work that I greatly appreciate, uh, in terms of what she's doing. So, um, prepare for a shock. Cause Isabel Huppert is my number three for L. Fuck. Hmm. Had I not revisited any of these movies and had just done it completely off of memory, Hooper probably would have been my winner. Uh, she was my winner on the night, and I had not revisited m most of these movies prior to um, the night. But um, it's not exactly that I got less out of her performance this time or that I disliked it more. I just got so much more out of Nega and Portman on this rewatch that it kind of just propelled them a little further for me. So I still really adore Isabel Huppert as a performer and also in Elle. She is on another level in many ways, and she is a singular actress in that regard. But um, I guess right now there's something I'm just a little bit more curious um, when it comes to Nega and Portman. So Isabel Huppert is my number three today for Elle. 
I'm speechless for the first time <laughs> on this podcast. Wow, yeah. you really blindsided me there. Holy shit. Well, okay. Um, Ruth Nega is my runner-up. Isabel Huppert is clearly my number one. Um, number one, or starting with the I guess. Yeah, number one, Ruth Nega. Had we not revisited this, she would have been number four. Um, this is what I meant with my lineup had changed. Ruth is fantastic here. She's so good. I love her in this. Brava. Hoopy, though, is on point. There, This should have been her win. This should have been her Oscar. I'm still not over it to this day. I will never be over this, I don't think. Um, shout out, girl. I voted for you at the Spirits. You're welcome. Um, I love this so much. I love Elle. I love Huppert. I really wish you would have won this. Josh? My runner-up is Emma Stone for La La Land. And my winner is Natalie Portman and Jackie. Um, I think Emma Stone, as I've said, is the best thing about a movie that I just think is kind of fine. But I really do think that her performance is so amazing in it. And I think it speaks a lot to the fact that I love her so much in a movie that I'm not that passionate about. I think that she's incredible in it. But at the same time... I mean, I, I admit it. I am one of those Jackie stands. I think that what Natalie Portman does in this movie is just, I, I think you said it, Brandon, that it's really like otherworldly. It feels like this should not work. And there's so many things that are kind of clashing within it, but it manages to pull off this balancing act that is both like goofy and imitatable, but also feels so real and genuine and, actually does feel like a real character to me and i think it's a, a beautiful portrayal i honestly like this performance more than um black swan to be honest with you I, th this is one of my favorite natalie portman performances and she without a doubt would be my personal winner for best actress this year well um natalie portman is my runner-up for jackie um i gained so much more respect for this performance upon re-watching it I saw so much more of what Portman was doing, and I think to write it off as the obligatory Oscar biopic is doing a disservice to the film itself and to Portman, because I think this film is masterfully made. Um, I agree with Joey. I think it should have gotten in for cinematography and a whole slew of other nominations, because it is truly magnificent, and Natalie Portman is a huge reason for that. Ruth Nega, though, is going to be my winner. Um, it's it's rewatching Loving, honestly, that did it for me and really thinking about it. Um, after I watched it for that second time, I still was, at first was like, it was all right. I dig it, but I don't love it. But for some reason, it kept brewing in my head and Ruth Nega's performance was at like the forefront of all of my thoughts about this movie and i just kept thinking about these very unique choices that she keeps making throughout this movie and how confidently she plays this character and how much she doesn't really seem to be intentionally pulling the audience into her we just naturally gravitate toward her because she is a wonderful actress doing a wonderful job of bringing this person to life and um I think if another actress had played this part, it would have been Oscar Beatty to hell. And if another director had told this story, 
it would have been, you know, another Oscar baby movie, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. But um, rewatching this movie, I developed a real adoration for this performance. And um, I feel like Ruth Nega has to be my my winner. So Ruth Nega is my winner for loving. Mm. We all had different wow. winners. Well, this. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I love when that happens too. Much. I think in every category. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, as a recap, I give it to Isabelle Huppert and Nicole Kidman. Uh, I give it to Natalie Portman and Viola Davis. And I give it to Ruth Nega and Naomi Harris. And this comment will only make sense to Brandon as of this recording, but this is the second time you've thrown me for a loop on your winner. Oh, I know. We've recorded an episode that the listeners will hear at some point in the future. Uh, that I shook you with. Done shooketh to the core. And I was shocked there. Was anyone else shocked with anyone's picks, to be honest? Mm, I don't think so. I'm, I'm not surprised uh, with Josh's uh, Viola Davis. We've had other guests on this show who disregard the category thing, and we welcome that. It makes the show more interesting, I feel, oh. when people do that. And uh, I love it. I mean, Viola Davis is great. And if she had been in the lead category... She might very well be my winner, but um, I'm just sticking with the precedent of the show. So uh, that's why I felt like I had to disqualify her because I do see her as a, a lead with Denzel. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think, Joe, you did kind of surprise me a little bit with Nicole Kidman, but I, it's a welcome surprise. I'm, that's a performance that you're right. Nobody really talks about that much. And even though it was number five for me, I'm always grateful to hear passionate defenses of stuff that even I may not be that into. So I'm very actually happy that that performance works so well for you. Yeah. And that's one thing we love about doing this is that, especially when we have someone else on, you know, Brandon and I have agreed many times, Brandon and I have disagreed many a times. So it's always great when either or happens, because if we agree on something like, for an example, Penelope Milford back in 78, I never would have thought that he would have also given her the win for that. Because I always felt like I was the the lone Penelope Milford stand, and then you know even something like this where he did not. I really thought he was going Isabelle Huppert, and this was going off of past conversations that we've had of this year. So you know I welcome that it changed. I was literally shocked. So kudos to everybody here. So I think um, I think a running theme for this episode was um, give movies a second chance. Yes. I feel yeah. like there's a, a lot of movies we talked about where we mentioned that it was on the second viewing of them that a performance really shined. So um, if Ruth Nega or Nicole Kidman or Naomi Harris or whoever didn't do it for you the first time and you've only seen the movie once, give it another shot and really zero in on that performer and pay attention to what they're doing. Because, I mean, we mentioned that for several of these nominees this this episode. 2016, it's 2016 theme, Second Chances. <laughs> um, uh, Josh, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, you can find most of my work over uh, on Next Best Picture. I uh, always am very proud of the team that we got over there, so I'd highly recommend you check that out. And you can also find me on Twitter at JR Parham. It has been a delight having you on. Please come back anytime. You have an open invitation. You're yes. a lot of fun to talk to. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation. I was looking forward to this a lot. Same, yeah. same.
All right, we're going to give this an old Frenchy goodbye. So, gentlemen, on the count of three, we're going to give a big old bonsoir to our listeners. Ready? One, two, three. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. <laughs> <laughs>